When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. is meant to be a substitute for mental health treatment. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to Psychologically Minded. My name is Grace Fowler, and today we will be talking about the film The Three Faces of Eve. So this is a, an older film. It came out in about 1957, and it's based on the real-life story of a woman named Christine Costner Sizemore. Essentially, the movie is about a woman who is suffering from what at the time was called multiple personalities, but would more modernly be called disassociative identity disorder. Um, and so I, I wanted to do this episode for the last Women's History um, Month episode because the woman that the movie is based on is considered to be the first woman to be diagnosed with this type of disorder. Um, And as it is pretty closely based on her life, I thought it was a good way to kind of wrap up. And and also the film and the way that the real life woman was treated also I think gives a lot of opportunity for us to talk about you know, the way that women are treated and the way that certain disorders are seen, uh, as well as how the treatment has sort of shifted and the way that we talk about this type of disorder in the mental health field and also kind of in the pop culture world. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce to us the main characters of the film, go through a quick synopsis, and then talk about the parallels between this movie, the real case, and kind of what the research says about DID. So to begin with, uh, our film has a few main characters. The first one is Eve White. She is the main character who first presents in the psychiatrist's office as having some problems with headaches and like these blackout spells where she doesn't remember what she's done. She also is pretty timid. She stays at home to take care of her only daughter, Bonnie, and is married to a man who doesn't seem to quite understand what she is going through. Maybe he wants to get Bonnie away from me. You mean by divorce? No, maybe not that, but if he could make me believe I'm losing my mind... Is that what you think he's trying to do? Well, I don't know what else it could be the way he tells it. Emma? This leads to our second main character, Ralph White, Eve's husband, who, honestly, the, the film portrays him to be kind of like a dumb southern guy who doesn't like quite understand psychiatry or the brain <laughs> uh, or any of the things that are going on with his wife. Um, and he I, I, he does not quite handle the situation that Eve is going through in the film very well. Um, and like I mentioned before, they have a child named Bonnie, who is about, I think, like four or five uh, when the film starts. Um, and so the those 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 are the main the main family. Now, 
spoiler alert, obviously, <laughs> there's multiple personalities in the film. And Eve is the one experiencing the multiple personalities. So the first personality to kind of emerge as a distinct person from Eve White is the character called Eve Black. And she's kind of the complete opposite of Eve White. She's like in, in uninhibited. She wants to go out dancing, drinking. She does not want to be married to Ralph at all. She doesn't want to be a mother. She kind of represents all the things that Eve White wouldn't be able to do in her kind of normal day-to-day life. Don't you want to give me one? Well, I've never seen you take a drink before. Honey, there are a lot of things you've never seen me do before. That's no sign I don't do. Throughout the film, Eve, white and black, are working with the psychiatrist, Dr. Luther, who is mainly in charge of her treatment and has never really worked with multiple personality issues before and throughout the film is like pretty clear that he's not quite sure if she's being real or not like he has trouble understanding what Eve is going through Um, and then later on the film the third uh, personality emerges and her name is Jane and she's kind of the balance between Eve White and Eve Black in that she doesn't want to be married to Ralph (laughs) but she does want to be Bonnie's mother uh, she's a lot more even keeled. She's she's more sensible. She's not as sensitive as um, Eve White is, but she's also not as impulsive as e- Eve Black is. Um, and throughout the film, there is this idea that Eve White and Eve Black were inadequate or incomplete personalities and that Jane has the potential to be an adequate or complete personality. And we see the psychiatrist start to push for Jane to kind of like take over the body. So our film opens up with Eve White and Ralph at the psychiatrist's uh, office after she was referred by her primary doctor for these headaches and uh, like blackout spells. Um, She also, interestingly enough, in this first meeting with the psychiatrist tells him that she lost a baby four months before she's in his office. And it's kind of insinuated that that was the triggering event for her uh headaches and these these weird memory episodes she's having so he puts her on medication and she's fine for about a year managing the headaches and she's not blacking out anymore so the film quickly speeds up a year later ralph is coming home from work he's coming home for lunch and sees that eve went on a shopping spree there's like all these fancy clothes and shoes on the bed and he like flies into a rage because it's it's shown that they're not very wealthy Uh, And he's like yelling at her and accusing her. And she keeps saying, I didn't buy this. I thought you bought it for me. Um, And her name is on the receipt. So, of course, he doesn't believe her either. Um, And so they have this this big fight and she kind of freaks out and she's in another room. Ralph is trying to pack up the clothes. He runs in and sees that she's strangling their daughter, Bonnie, with the cord from the blinds. So she's hospitalized immediately after this event, and she tells the psychiatrist that she's been hearing a voice in her head who's telling her to leave her husband, but the voice sounds exactly like her own voice. And throughout the film, Eve frequently asks, like, am I crazy? Am, you know, am I losing my mind? And this is something she points to as evidence that she is crazy, but the psychiatrist keeps reassuring her that she is not psychotic. Whatever is going on with her is 
not evidence that her her mind is falling to pieces so that i think that's an interesting distinction this film makes between like psychosis and you know maybe the stigma associated with that and this experience of did or multiple personalities is not the same thing as like a psychotic episode so she's in the hospital um and it's after this event with bonnie that eve black comes out into the psychiatrist's room for the first time and we notice that eve black will come out when eve white is too emotionally distraught so when she starts sobbing or puts her hands her head down into her hands this is usually when eve black will appear and the film uses a music cue to tell us when the eves like kind of shift between each other and eve black's music cue is like this kind of sexy like like trumpet (laughs) number so that's how we know like eve black is coming out she's gonna be provocative she's gonna you know kind of do things that that we wouldn't expect from the timid woman we thought we were following throughout the film um so again she's put in the hospital uh she's eve white is trying to kind of get her life back together it's insinuated that there's been a break in her Uh, episodes of eve black coming out it's been pretty managed um and then eve black emerges and attempts to seduce an orderly in the hospital by luring him into her bedroom and of course he immediately reports it to the psychiatrist the psychiatrist comes out of the hospital to like have a little talking to with eve black and basically tells her that his goal for treatment is to get her to never come out again so he's telling eve black like you need to stay inside eve white and let eve white kind of run the show uh so two weeks later she's let out of the hospital um and her husband moves to florida and her child bonnie stays with her grandparents but eve has to stay behind to kind of continue treatment so she's living on her own so with this freedom of ralph and bonnie not being around eve black is coming out more and more often and she's kind of running wild around town going to nightclubs drinking a lot hooking up with boys I mean, as much as they would in the 50s, <laughs> it's like she's just kind of like kissing boys on the lips and that's seemed to be very provocative. Um, but word gets back to Ralph, who, although he's had it explained to him multiple times what's going on and has even seen his wife shift between Eve White and Eve Black, he doesn't quite get it and blames Eve White for uh, what Eve Black has been doing and threatens to leave her and keep her away from Bonnie forever unless she moves to uh florida with him and he hits her she falls to the ground and eve black kind of takes over because again she's in this like emotionally distraught kind of traumatic situation so again every time that eve white becomes too emotionally overwhelmed with what's going on eve black will come out and although it seems throughout the film that neither eve white nor eve black really want to be married to ralph um eve white can't bring herself to leave him and eve black seems to understand that they do need him for money so after the slap uh eve black comes out she goes down to the hotel where ralph is staying and she attempts to seduce him to get him to take her back to florida and you know continue supporting her probably to get away from the psychiatrist as well because he had just told eve black like i don't think you should be allowed to be alive anymore um and they go to florida together and Eve Black continues to do what she loves to do, which is go out and kind of party. And Ralph, of course, can't handle this. So he uh, leaves her and Eve White attempts suicide after Ralph leaves her. And she, she goes into the bathroom to cut her wrist. Now, 
just so you know, this is not shown in the film, but it is talked about later. Um, and this is why I put those content warnings at the uh, in the episode description because this one does deal with this this kind of suicidal behavior. So, and you don't see it in the film if you want to watch it for yourself, but it is explicitly talked about. So Eve White, in her distress, attempts to cut her wrist. Eve Black kind of takes over, uh, takes over the ship and takes them both to the psychiatrist to let him know that something is wrong. And Eve Black is saying like something is wrong. Uh, she's kind of falling apart and Eve Black is having uh, memory lapses herself. So there's this, this, they're starting to lay the foundation that there could be another personality that's about to emerge. And so in this visit where Eve Black is saying like something is wrong, Jane emerges for the first time and she is a personality who has no memories. She doesn't even know her own name. She kind of decides her name in the session, but she presents as kind of very rational she's very sensible she's not overly distraught and she's able to talk with the doctor a little more calmly and give him a lot more information and so the doctor starts to see her as like you know she's she's the one that he always wants to talk to so now we have the three eve black eve white and jane and the three women for a, a few months kind of live their separate lives so eve white is working this like operator job so that she can afford to send money to her child. Eve Black is just kind of going on a bender and running around town. And then Jane seems to have like set up a life for herself. and She's actually dating uh, another man, although we don't get to see much of him. She she is shown to kind of trying to be moving on and living her own life, although she does have to explain to this man kind of her situation and why she can't marry him because she is actually two other people. Um. So they're continuing to live their separate lives, but things are still going wrong. Um, Eve White comes back to the doctor, and basically between her and Jane, the doctor learns what happened to Eve as a child. That's sort of the precipitating event for when the personalities split. Um, When Eve, the original, was six years old, her grandmother had died, and her parents made her kiss the dead body uh, during the wake. Please... Please don't make me. Please, please don't make me, Mama. Please don't. Please, please don't. Don't make me. What happened, Jane? Under the house. She made me. She made me kiss her. No. By getting to tell the psychiatrist the story of what happened to her when she was a little girl, uh. Eve White and Eve Black essentially die, or I guess you could call it kind of like they get exercised. And Jane integrates all the personalities into herself. She's able to remember everything about her childhood, and she emerges as the dominant personality. And then the film shows us that in a little follow up scene, that it's two years later, Jane has been like in treatment. She's married that man that she was dating. And they have reunited with Bonnie. So Jane gets to kind of have everything that Eve White wanted, which is to not be married to Ralph, first of all, (laughs) um, but to be Bonnie's mother and to kind of have this happy life. And Jane was the personality that was able to kind of get those things done. And then the family rides off into the sunset and roll credits. That is the story, the film, The Three Faces of Eve. 
Um, before I dive too much into the analysis and the real world story, I did want to mention a fun fact about the actress who plays the Eves and Jane, uh, Joanne Woodward. So she won an Oscar and a Golden Globe for her portrayal of this character in The Three Faces of Eve. And then later on in her career, she would play the psychiatrist in the film Sybil, which is another tale of uh a woman with multiple personalities or DID, which is actually a, a little more controversial because it, it may not be true that Sybil was having the symptoms of DID and that the psychiatrist may have eh, encouraged her into endorsing some of these things or manifesting some of these personalities. So uh, Joanne Woodward kind of got to play the other side of it in, in Sybil uh, and had the experience of playing kind of both types of roles. So I thought that was interesting that she got to come back um, in Sybil. And I guess she kind of became the multiple personalities lady. Um, okay, so let's talk about what was kind of going on in this film. So again, just a reminder that this film was from the 50s, was filmed in the 50s and takes place in the 50s. So some of the things that we may see from the psychiatrist may not be uh, evidence-based practices or what you would encounter if you were in treatment for DID today. Uh, So I just want to, you know, state that up top. Um, So I mentioned this before, but the psychiatrist approach, Dr. Luther's approach to working with Eve was to kind of berate Eve Black into staying inside um, and to essentially like tell this personality that she has to give up her life, her experience of living, uh, and remain like dormant for Eve White to be the leader of the show. And it seems to be that he only wants this because Eve White was there first. Like he doesn't ever quite explain why. And I, I read into it also that the psychiatrist doesn't want this kind of raunchy, rowdy girl personality to be dominant either. That Eve White is kind of she seemed to be the better option because she's timid. She's a housewife. She's willing to stay in a marriage that nobody wants to be in. Um, so she she's kind of like fitting into his idea of what a woman at that time should be. And Eve Black is kind of uh, out of the box of what he expects from a, an adult woman. So there, there's like no evidence basis for why Eve Black should have to be the dormant personality and Eve White should get to be the dominant one. Uh, it's just kind of his cultural expectations and his preferences as the psychiatrist. And there's never any conversation where Eve White gets to know what the treatment is. In fact, for most of the film, Eve White doesn't even know who Eve Black is and doesn't know that she's switching between these personalities. It takes a while for her to even be told that by her doctor even after she's been in the hospital. And so I I bring that up just to highlight that that is not how we treat DID these days. It's not just berating one personality and like randomly choosing some some, one of the alters to be the dominant one Um, from a treatment manual that I found specifically around working with this disorder. Um, the authors mentioned that the treatment of DID should first focus on skill building to prevent danger to self and others. So things like mindfulness, grounding, anything you would learn in something like a DBT or any interpersonal based therapy where the person 
can know the skills to be able to keep themselves safe as they go through a very like difficult treatment. Um, then to do a trauma-focused therapy to deal with the kind of trauma beginning points. That's one of the main conceptualizations of DID is there are like identifiable traumas that happened in the person's life and that led to kind of the, the fragmentation of the personality. And so making sure the person is safe before they engage in this treatment and then having them go through trauma treatment to help kind of work through those uh, periods of their life. And then they also recommend doing exposure therapy. So usually we use this in the case of like phobias or anxiety. So uh, again, working the person through this kind of acceptance and integration of the trauma that happened to them and the ability to face the memories of it without having to disassociate. Um, And that's why the name of it was changed to DID because the mechanism of why the fragmented personalities maybe come up or shift throughout the person's experience is that the brain is disassociating in an attempt to protect the person from memories of trauma or triggering events. Um, And the therapy, the like evidence-based therapy for DID or the recommendations are that the therapist should be working with all aspects of the fragmented identity. So like in this movie, it would not be recommended to only be yelling at Eve Black and not letting Eve White know what's going on or only working with Jane because she's easier to work with and not working with the Eves. Um, and so I, I think that is important to note that this is how we treat it. This in modern times is that all of the identities are a focus of treatment and the therapist would be kind of working with each alter to get them on board for treatment so that the person still has the same skills to keep them safe across whatever aspect of their fragmented personality is is kind of in the front front seat. Another thing that's portrayed in the film is that the Eves and Jane are able to switch very quickly between who is kind of in front or conscious at the time. Um, there There's several scenes where she's working with the psychiatrist and he'll say, I want to see Eve White. I want to see Eve Black. Now I want to see Jane. Now back to Eve White. And all as soon as he says their name, they, that personality kind of appears. Now I understand that it's a film and you kind of have to make it exciting. It can't just be a woman disassociating in a room for two hours. That would be very boring to watch as a film. Um, but I, I wanted to see, like, is this what happens with DID, right? Is Is this possible to kind of switch between these alters or these fragmented personalities um, that quickly and kind of on that on command. And the research seems to show that it is possible, but it is not immediate. So there was one, and, and this isn't a hugely studied area as well. So we, we got to take this with a grain of salt that there's not a lot of research in this area because it's not a very prevalent disorder. Um, the, there was a case study done with a patient who had been working who had been in treatment for about 20 plus years diagnosed with DID. And this patient was able to switch on command and voluntarily between their fragmented identities, but they had not been able to do that until many, many years into their treatment. And they had to work very hard to learn how to switch like quote unquote on purpose. Um, And this was an interesting article, which is linked in the sources page, but they, wanted to work with this patient who could voluntarily switch because they had the person switch between identities while in like an MRI machine and they were taking scans of their brain as they switched between identities 
to kind of see like what's going on when this person is switching between the personalities. So again, one case study has shown that it could be possible for someone with DID after many years of treatment and working on this diagnosis that they could learn to voluntarily switch between identities. So it's not immediate. It's not like inherent to the disorder. And again, the nature of this disorder is disassociation, which is very difficult to control if you've never experienced disassociation. Well, here's the thing. Most of us have. So if you've ever, uh, like if you know how to drive and you drive yourself, you know when you're driving from like work to home or from a familiar store to home and it's not a route that you need to pay attention to. Maybe there's always a lot of traffic so you're easy, like easy ride and you can, you kind of start to zone out and then all of a sudden you come back to attention and you're like, like two blocks away from your house and you're like, oh, I don't remember every step of getting here. That's a form of disassociation. It's super mild and your brain is still aware of things that are going on because you didn't crash your car uh, on your way home, but you also didn't have to pay attention to all of the stimulus of your drive home because you've done it so often that your brain is kind of able to let you take a back seat while it drives you home, <laughs> essentially. Um, that would be like a, for- a very mild form of disassociation. So now imagine if every time you experienced a stressor or a trigger related to your trauma, rather than that mild form of disassociation, it was an extreme form where you are gone. Like you, how you experience your identity is gone. You are blacking out. There's no memory. Uh, Just someone else essentially has taken over conscious control of your body. And it's not, you won't even know that it has happened until you become conscious again until you stop disassociating. Now, there are people with disassociative disorders that do not have disassociative identity disorder, so they just disassociate and there's no other identity or fragmented personality that takes over. They just disassociate or derealize or depersonalize, which are very fancy terms that all mean essentially the same thing, this experience of I'm not in the driver's seat uh, of my consciousness. So all of that to say that it's incredibly hard to pull oneself out of a disassociative state because of how deeply disconnected the, the brain comes becomes and like disconnected from consciousness we become. So that's why it's really difficult for people with DID to switch back and forth really quickly. So like I said, this was one case study that is really interesting and seems to lend some credence to how treatment can help people to have feel more in control of switching between their identities or essentially control of their disassociation. Um, but we're probably, you know, going to need more research in this area. Um, another thing that comes up in the film is that Dr. Luther uses hypnosis to treat Mrs. White or to treat the Eves. Uh, he's putting her under hypnosis all the time, which never seems to go well for her because in the film, every time she's under hypnosis, she kind of starts screaming and crying. And the psychiatrist seems to be using hypnosis as a way to just immediately access her traumatic memories in a way that's not particularly safe or uh, with any warning from her Um, because Eve White is not remembering necessarily what's happening when she's under hypnosis. She's just reacting to, to memories that are surfacing. So I thought to myself, let's talk about 
hypnosis uh, as like a psychiatric treatment. So I found this really interesting article that's actually from the American Journal of Clinical Hypnosis. Um, So, you know, maybe a little biased in that they think hypnosis is is cool. But they the author went through kind of a pretty extensive history of hypnosis and outlined a very long history of using hypnosis or similar techniques in different healing traditions, even dating back to like ancient cultures where trances or putting someone into a trance was an important part of like medicinal practices. Um, So that in itself would be like a form of hypnosis. In the 1800s, hypnosis was pretty widely used before surgery or childbirth as like anesthesia. So rather than getting some chloroform, your surgeon would hypnotize you so that the surgery could be performed and you wouldn't feel like uh, excruciating pain while the 1800 surgery is going on, which I can't imagine that was a good time, uh, nor very sanitary. Um, so so it, it wasn't just like in spiritual practices or mental health. It was also used in like medicine, like more traditional medicine or surgery. Um, so the I think the gateway for how uh psychiatry and his and hypnosis kind of came to be leans back to Freud and some of his mentors. So Freud had studied under Jean-Martin Chacot, who was kind of pioneering the technique of hypnosis on quote unquote hysterical women in asylums. And if you ever see an article or hear the term hysterical women, particularly from this like 18, 1900s time of history. Uh, it basically just meant like a woman got real stressed out and instead of asking her what was wrong, they claimed that she was hysterical and put her in an asylum. And there are all kinds of wacky techniques that men came up with to treat women who were deemed hysterical. Uh, and Charcot was using hypnosis. Um, so Freud learned it under Charcot and then had implemented hypnosis in his original psychoanalytic work. So when Freud first kind of ventured out on his own, he was using hypnosis pretty exclusively uh, and then started to phase it out when he implemented what he called free association. So this was this became Freud's kind of like a piece de resistance uh, was free association. And the idea was that you uh, let the patient just talk, just talk about whatever they wanted to talk about and as they kind of freely spoke their mind they would start to access their subconscious and their unconscious thoughts would become known by just letting them talk and see how what they what thoughts they had what brought up new thoughts and how you could kind of follow those chains of thought so he replaced hypnosis with this free association um but by the time freud was phasing out hypnosis it was already a pretty solidified technique for psychiatric treatment. And in fact, many of the early psychiatrists in uh, American traditions who were trained in medical school were trained in hypnosis. And that was one of kind of their tools and their tool belt. Um, so what we see in the movie of the, the psychiatrist using hypnosis would have been considered an appropriate medical intervention for the treatment that he was doing. Um, and to this day, hypnosis is still used. In fact, I had a classmate in grad school who was trained in hypnosis and used those techniques in like the therapy room. It's used a lot in like tobacco cessation, like using hypnotism to kind of 
replace uh, cravings for tobacco. I didn't look up the research on how uh, like effective it is, but that's what it's used for What in my experience. Um, although hypnosis has largely been replaced by clinical interventions and effective medications. So as psychiatrists have had more uh, access to medications that are more specific for different disorders, uh, they haven't had to use hypnosis as much. And there's a lot more types of like evidence-based clinical treatment like cognitive behavioral therapy or interpersonal psychotherapy or attachment-based emotion-focused therapy so that we don't have to use hypnotism. Uh, we kind of have a lot more options for how to work with people. And, you know, I think kind of going back to this idea of like the hysterical woman, uh, we just kind of got to calm her down, make her stop crying. I think that's really clear in the film in the way in which Eve is treated when she's first experiencing her symptoms. So even from the get-go, right? Like, like I said, she comes into the office, she's telling the psychiatrist about what's happening to her, and she he asks her how many kids she has, and she says, I have a daughter, and I lost a child four months ago. And that's never revisited again in the film, uh, but or, or by the psychiatrist. But I think it's pretty clear, and this is, again, coming from my like trauma-informed training and how this is more kind of the norm and more modern like psychology or psych- psychiatric training. Uh, that seems to be the trigger for why these things were getting so war- so bad. And knowing after the end of the film that we know that Eve's original trigger, original trauma was having to kiss her dead grandmother's face uh, at the wake, you can see how losing a baby would be kind of re-traumatizing and could escalate these experiences. Now, we learn over the course of the film that Eve Black had been coming in and out probably her entire life since this traumatic event at age six. But the frequency in which she comes out begins to uh, get exacerbated after this. It's not clear if it's a miscarriage or the child just passed away, but after this traumatic loss and no one ever says, hey, Eve, maybe you're going through a really tough time because you lost a child and that's a horrible thing to go through. And your whole identity has become being a mother and a wife. And so losing a child, like, that kind of takes a big hit to your identity on top of the grief and the trauma around losing this child. No one ever says anything (laughs) about that to her or gives her any kind of, like, out or understanding of, you know, you're not going crazy. This is, like, a a normal response for you. This is how your brain has learned to deal with things. Like, Nobody gives her that. And I understand that the science probably wasn't there at the time and the understanding of what was happening to her wasn't uh, the same as it is today. But come on, somebody could have thrown this woman a bone and been like, hey, maybe you've been going through some really tough stuff. And maybe if they'd taken a second to ask her about her marriage, they'd find out that it was horrible and that she wasn't being treated well, even when she wasn't (laughs) disassociating and coming out as the, you know, naughty Eve Black, which her husband really did not like. But even as like her original kind of form of Eve White, uh, it was not a pleasant marriage, right? There was a lot going on where this woman was deeply, deeply unhappy and not being taken care of. So, and I I just, again, want to connect that to this idea of the hysterical woman of like, there was a time in our history, and I, I think it's still present to this day, but there was a time in our history, particularly in America, where when a woman was having a big emotion, she was considered to be like mentally ill, right? Like 
if a woman was having a reaction, an emotional reaction to something that wasn't dainty or easily taken care of, she was considered to be so mentally ill she had to be put into an institution, had to be like hospitalized. Um, and I, we st- I think we still do that today. I, I think we do it a, a lot for many genders that when anyone is having like a big emotional reaction, we're very quick to label it as like abnormal or to label it as like a sign of a mental illness. And the reality is, is that you could be the most like mentally healthy person in the world. Congrats to you for being so mentally well, <laughs> but you could be the most like stable healthy person in the world and you could still have big feelings about things and still have like emotional reactions like on an off day that maybe you're not as in control of as you'd want to be but it doesn't matter like that stuff happens and we become dysregulated for whatever reason and it's okay we move on we can pick ourselves up and start over again and try again maybe tomorrow after a nice rest or a nice meal or a glass of water like whatever it is that you need but, but like, it doesn't mean that you're like a broken person and you're you're sick, right? There's there's nothing to to correlate those things. And I and I mentioned this because like we've been talking about in the last few episodes, this idea of like people being on the internet now, especially young children, going through very public difficult times, whether it's puberty or through relationship stuff or through. Like in the case of Amanda Bynes in the last uh, few episodes, uh, like substance use, going through these things like very publicly can make the reactions one has to the situation seem even worse, right? Like imagine if Eve White had TikTok (laughs) or had Twitter, right? And as she's going through this like very confusing time and she's having these emotional reactions and Eve Black is coming out and, and being like, watch out boys, I'm hitting the town. If all of that was happening, not just like in her little town where people seem to know her and know her husband, but was happening on like a nationwide or global scale, like that would have exacerbated the problem so much more. There was uh, like a a part of this story is kind of inherent is that she got to hide, right? They're like, nobody knew who she was. And in fact, as I move on to talk about the real woman, like she used a pseudonym for a long time and nobody knew who she really was. She got to kind of hide her identity until she felt ready to emerge in the in the public sphere. Um but I think that the introduction of like this very public eye this like surveillance of people's emotions, surveillance of people's reactions to things could lead a, and this is again an opinion, a hypothesis coming from my brain, but I think could lead us to an era in which we start to ascribe these labels like hysterical or like pull the trigger on on labeling something a mental illness just because it's happening in this like very public space and becoming amplified by other people's reactions to it. And I just have to say that I'm impressed with myself for taking a movie from the 1950s and somehow making it about TikTok. <laughs> just, I just keep coming back. Um, but all that to say that, that I think that kind of sums up what we see about treatment in the movie. And I want to be super clear that the way that treatment is portrayed in this film is not how treatment is done today and that there are lots of clinicians who are a lot more maybe understanding or sensitive to this disorder or this situation and would not treat a patient the way that Dr. Luther does with the like berating of personalities, the ignoring of other identities, um, the like keeping treatment a secret. Like, you know, I do want to be clear that I don't think he's a very good psychiatrist. (laughs) I don't think he did a good job with her. 
uh in in at least in the film and so i don't want it to serve as like an example of what would happen if you went in for treatment for something like headaches or or periods of blacking out or or spells of memory loss that you will be treated a lot different today if that is what's happening but we do still have to be aware of there's this bias against uh women or feminine identifying people of maybe over exaggerating uh and so it's not all like rose petals and rainbows if you go to get treatment for something like this but it will be a lot different than it is portrayed in the movie and as always i you know encourage you that if you find yourself having some experiences that seem a little off finding yourself disassociating maybe more than you intended to or more than than you feel is normal for you you know seek out some uh, medical help and you know their mental health help as well um because you you never know, right? It could be a medical condition. It could be a mental health condition. It could be nothing. But, you know, I, I encourage you to seek help. Um, and as always, you can check out some of the resources on the website if you're looking for a place to kind of get referrals for, for how to check that out. So I've dragged this on long enough, but let's talk about the real woman that the movie is based on. So like I mentioned before, her name is Christine Costner Sizemore. She did pass away in 2016. Um, but she had been using the pseudonym Evelyn Lancaster until about the 1970s. So she is Eve. Uh, and she was the focus of a book called The Three Faces of Eve that got turned into the movie. And she actually had two episodes of treatment for the same issue. But uh, we, we didn't know who she was until, until the 1970s. So as a child, uh, around age two, Christine had witnessed several gruesome events, including seeing her mother being like brutally injured in the kitchen and she had somehow seen like multiple corpses. It's truly, truly gruesome stuff. Um, and she began kind of disassociating in childhood and she had these experiences where she would get blamed for things that she had done for like naughty things she'd done as a child. Uh, but she had no memory of doing them and had like no, uh, like desire that she would have done those things. So she would, she would be very confused by those and later realized she had been disassociating and her personalities had fragmented uh, at that point, at that very young age. Um, although Sizemore does uh, write in, I think, one of her memoirs that she believes she always had the personalities with her. It was just that the trauma kind of allowed them to come out. Um, and so that was kind of her experience of these these identities or personalities had been with her since birth. Um, but they may not have emerged if it hadn't been for some of the trauma she's exp- she experienced. Um, so then in her twenties, she was in a, in a pretty abusive relationship, which exacerbated her symptoms. And she was starting to have symptoms very similar to what we see in the movie where she'd have these headaches and these kind of like blackout spells. And so in the 1950s, she enters treatment to resolve these three personalities, which were Eve White, Eve Black, and Jane. So again, very close to what was happening in the movie. So in the fifties, She's declared, quote unquote, cured. Uh, The two psychiatrists she was working with write a book about her. She sells her life rights to like Fox Studios or something. And they make the movie about her. But it turns out she's still experiencing disassociation. And she's having more personalities emerge, usually in like groups of three. So they would always, for her, kind of come out in these threes like Eve black eve white and jane had in the past uh and she experiences about 20 of these personalities kind of 
coming out in these groups. So in the 1970s, she begins uh, treatment with a new psychiatrist. And after about four years of treatment, she stops disassociating. So she stops having the uh, personalities emerging. Now, something that was uh, unique in Sizemore's case is that these these personalities that had come out were not like completely different people that especially in the like little triads that were coming out there were more subtle differences between them but they were different enough that she was able to see them as distinct people and it was Sizemore's work with the second psychiatrist in the 70s that one helped her to kind of resolve some of the disassociation but two also helped her to see kind of I guess a, it seemed like a better picture of her issues and to be able to see these personalities as not having to be like wildly different people, but of still impacting her and her still experiencing this like disassociation. Now, Sizemore's story doesn't end in the 70s when she kind of resolves some of her issues. Uh, in fact, as recently as 2012, there were allegations that one of her original psychiatrists so th- from the 1950s had been manipulating her and may have allegedly initiated a sexual relationship with her where he potentially impregnated her and then allegedly arranged to ha- for her to have an abortion and when she went in to have the abortion had her sterilized without her knowledge or her husband's knowledge. Um, and so there has there is like a documentary and I think a book that she cooperated with uh, that kind of details these allegations against that psychiatrist. And, you know, I don't know what really happened. Like I wasn't there, but it does seem kind of suspicious that her she was kind of encouraged to sign away her life rights for this movie um by that psychiatrist and that he wrote a book about her and you know stood to benefit from her story uh in in a like more so than just like getting her payment right like he stood to benefit not only his reputation but also like book sales movie sales uh there i think there's some allegations that he kind of was her manager he showed up at funerals uninvited like he was he just kind of stayed around in her life um which I can't imagine helped her treatment because that's not the relationship you would ever have with your psychiatrist. Um, And I think it says something that after working with the new psychiatrist who did not violate those boundaries with her, allegedly, uh, she was able to resolve some of her issues. Um, So, you know, that's out there. I'm not going to go too much into kind of that salacious uh, allegation stuff because we don't know. And the, those allegations didn't really come out until that original psychiatrist had passed away so we don't have his side of the story uh not that i don't i don't know if it matters so much but sizemore never really came out about it in the same way she just kind of collaborated with the writing of the book but she never really publicly stated if any of those things happened so we don't know her story or her experience um in that aspect but this is something that comes up a lot in kind of these sensational stories uh comes up in the discussion of the woman uh, that Sybil is based on in some of the satanic panic uh, cases where books are written, uh, there are always, there seems to be psychiatrists who cross boundaries at the core of it, uh, men and women, because the psychiatrist in the case of Sybil is a woman, uh, where I think the excitement of a new case, maybe an unstudied or untreated issue, uh, becomes too alluring 
and the psychiatrist gets kind of sucked into thinking like I could be the one who discovers this or discovers the treatment of it. Uh, you know, there's a lot of like notoriety wrapped up in that and, and they make great pop psychology stories. So they get picked up on like talk shows or the news stories, like the media loves these, these stories. And so they're really highly sensationalized. So although we may never really know what happened to Christine Costner Sizemore and that psychiatrist, uh, I think we've seen enough evidence that these stories uh, have enough allure in them that they might entice a medical or mental health professional to to cross some boundaries they might not intend to. Uh, I'm going to say it that in my most gracious uh, way. Um, but there's also, uh, I think for us as like an audience, it's important to understand that we got to take some of these stories with a grain of salt uh, and that, you know, who is telling the story, right? Like when Christine tells her story, uh, what differs from how the psychiatrist told her story? Like what was left out of the film? Uh, what was maybe included that didn't actually happen? These are important things to kind of understand uh, when we're dealing with st- stories about a real person like this. So that brings me to the end of my discussion of the three faces of Eve. I'm really excited that I got to do an episode on this. I really love this movie for some reason. I remember watching it as a teenager and just being fascinated with it, probably because I always was such a huge nerd about psychology. Uh, And this was, you know, right up that wheelhouse. And I went through a big, like, black and white movie phase as a teenager because it was a very cool <laughs> uh and this was you know this kind of the perfect intersection of those those interests so this is a a, a classic and honestly I rewatched it before the episode and it was, it was good like it, I, I was sucked in uh and Joanne Woodward is, is a fantastic actress and she she did a great job basically being three people uh in the film so with that, I just say thank you for making it to the end of the episode. Uh, thank you for sticking with me through the Women's History Month content. I had a lot of fun with it. I like doing some of these themed months. Uh, I think they keep me on track <laughs> a little bit better, uh, but I, I think they can kind of help us to make more connections between the episodes. Um, but with that, uh, please follow me on Instagram, on Twitter. Uh, check out the website. There are a ton of resources there if you're looking for anything mental health related. Uh, And as always, I will see you in the next episode. Bye-bye. To see the sources and resources mentioned in the episode, visit psychologicallymindedpod.com or click the link in the show notes. To contact me with any questions or comments about this topic or upcoming episodes, email me at psychmindedpod at gmail.com. Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you and see you in the next episode.